welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Thank you. Hi, Michelle. So it's so um so happy to to be talking to you um today. It's today for you, isn't it? It's still daytime. Yes, it is. It's um three thirty in the afternoon here. Okay. Yes. So obviously evening for me, but <laughs> daytime for for you. So um, Michelle, before we start our conversation, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners so they know who you are where you're based and what you do all right so i'm michelle donut and i'm i you know i keep changing my title but i'm a coach i'm an academic and life coach for young people uh here in north carolina and you know i have some other clients that are abroad and elsewhere in the united states that i contact via you know this zoom video conference kind of deal um i taught French and Spanish, that's what my doctorate's in, is French and Spanish, for 25 years. And, you know, it was through that exposure that I just really wanted to reach out. I thought I wanted to reach out and help people. Like, I, I was going to, I took my personal train, I went and became a personal trainer. And um, then my hip blew out. And I couldn't really build a lifetime career of personal training. But what I found in that personal training model was something I wanted to bring and carry over into my teaching, my education model. And that totally transformed me. Um, and through that, I, I wanted to connect individually because a personal trainer is personal. It's an individual connecting to an individual. And I found that through one-on-one relationships with kids, I just, I could help them get to different places um and i just loved i just got entrenched in that kind of work and so for the last eight years i believe i've owned my own business uh connecting only with young people and uh helping them do whatever it is that they want to do helping them improve uh if it's what they want Mm. and uh yeah you know my models changed over the years you know the eight years i've I've worked one-on-one but that's what i do Amazing. So that's, yes, that's lovely. Uh, so we should call you Dr. Donna then. <laughs> With your... uh, but I don't want to, I don't want to get attached to that. I build my business. I'm just Michelle. <laughs> and did you, did you teach in, um, what, in secondary school, the languages or university? Where, what, what did you, what level did you teach? Secondary school, only high school. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But you know, high school is such a mixture. You can, mm-hmm. you get like the young uh, ninth grader, the young first year high school student who's still kind of like that evolving uh, elementary school student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the student who's already 
you know, in their mind, 26, you know, you know, graduating senior from high school already knows what they want already, you know, has everything all worked out and can communicate as, you know, somebody in their mid twenties. So mm. you get some range, I think, in the, in the high school, in the mm. secondary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, we've obviously had previous conversations about education together, haven't we? And I think we, we're both on the same page. Um, and obviously, given that I've just created the, the podcast for Flourishing Education, I really wanted to interview you and, and to have a conversation. And in particular, um, this, this week, I was reading an article on the notion of deficit, you know, the deficit model in education versus the asset model of education. And it reminded me of a conversation we had together. So, um, I really would like us to discuss this um, today. Uh, but before we do, do you want to um, talk to us about what you do with young people when you coach them and what, the, what you see are the most common challenges in, in, your, in your clients? Um, one thing that I make very clear as a coach is that I'm not there to make the grades better. If grades improve, it's a byproduct of the child's improved self-confidence and self-reliance and learned skill set, um, their resilience, uh, you know, things that they'll acquire through coaching, life coaching, and things like that. I'm not out to uh, make grades better. They sometimes just happen to get better. But what I love is, you know, for example, oh my goodness, okay, I'm going to, okay, um, I sat with it was a few months ago, I sat with an eighth grade boy and I just told him, I just said, sweetie, you are perfect. Just as you are, you are already perfect. I'm not here to change you. I'm not here. There's nothing wrong with it. And he started, he started his big, I just remember his big brown eyes just started to swell, you know, fill with tears. And it was like, Wow. It, it was like the first time he had heard that he was already perfect. There was nothing to change. I wasn't going to change him. I wasn't there to fix him or fix anything that I was just basically serving as his translator for, you know, for what the expectations were. Um, but that right there in itself, I, I think I'm just a communicator of you're already perfect. You're beautiful just as you are. And we're going to do what you want to do. Mm, that is so beautiful. And then, you know, then well, once they believe in themselves or they feel good about themselves, they advocate more. Hmm. You know, they seek help more. Yes. Interesting because if they feel that something is air quote wrong with them, if they feel like they are a weaker learner, or I think that, you know, a lot of my kids have low self-esteem and feel stupid or wrong or less than um, then they're not they don't want others to know that they need help they're very aware of what others are thinking of them so they're not going to raise their hand and ask a question they're not going to go and seek assistance from the teacher mm. yeah and then um you know they're just not going to self-advocate they really want to kind of cover it up and put their head in the sand uh, and hope it all goes away mm. So, so that's just amazing, just like making the difference with, you know, and I know it's more than one, but just this amazing story that how beautiful and how 
how empowering for them to be able to uh, you know to know that they are perfect and there's there's nothing wrong with them and, and you know that you are not there to to change it change them or change right. the, the situation so hmm. and any any kind of evaluation really kind of comes from the outside and is like a perception right mm -hmm. so i get you know i'll get feedback from educators or from the parents with their terminology uh hyperactive inattentive you know like labels that that we give them that stick with them and you know it's, it's just like I, I think like we're missing you know if we could study brain science we're really missing a whole big piece of the picture there in terms of why they're here and what their gifts are mm. you know a lot of educators you know i think they're also here to teach us so yeah actually yeah, yeah 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 we learn i mean i always say my kids are my biggest teachers because they teach me so much i learn so much from them yeah. right right so you know like even i think they're they're misread a lot like a lot of times like we have this term hyperactive right and that's perception that's perception of somebody on the outside because in their brain and in their mind they're normal that is their normal so any other you know any kind of perception like hyperactive or inattentive or you know any other labels we we put on them um is really coming from the outside it's mm -hmm. not, it's their normal. So, and it's just, it's misread. If we were to take your typical, so there's different kinds of hyperactivity. Let's just work with hyperactivity, for example. There's three different kinds or many kinds of uh, hyperactivity. There's like the, the very common hyperactivity. We see a lot of movement, a lot of fidgeting, you know, that physical hyperactivity. And then we have that inattentive quality or the mind, the brain hyperactivity where mm -hmm. they're actually sitting very still, staring straight ahead, but their brain is jumping all over the place and we can't see that. And that's often the student who gets tagged as attentive, whereas the one who's moving around a whole lot and fidgeting and squirming gets tagged as hyperactive or inattentive. And that's just not true. Mm. So it's actually the uh, stimulation of the working memory or the processing skills. They've done studies on this. Um, there was a guy who took uh, middle school aged children and sat them down and had them watch a very, very highly stimulating movie. And the children all sat there and stared at the screen, eyes fixated, mouths didn't move, their bodies didn't move throughout the entire highly stimulating movie. He took that same group of kids and gave them a challenging math worksheet. It was just like one step above what they were working on above their level, but it challenged their working memory or their processing skills. As soon as they were given that worksheet and were challenged and they had to engage more of their processing skills is when they started to motor co-stimulate. So to engage movement to help them focus to get the work done. So they were actually more engaged when moving. So, you know, creating wow. yeah. yeah. a whole lot of labels for something that's actually really good. Mm. So, so I, you know, and I, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's also careful with the labels we give to people because the problem is once we give ourselves a, a label, 
you know, it becomes it becomes our identity. I often say that, you know, the what what's your I am what do you put after I am becomes your your reality so you've just got to be really careful what you <laughs> you want to put next to it because then once that becomes who you are that becomes who you are and there's no way around it so well, yeah. I, I same experience you know I, I identified later in life as ADHD because I was diagnosed my entire school years right it, i was undiagnosed and i just had to either be punished or learn you know certain techniques or skills or whatever and you know, some of them i talk about you know i've published before but um then once i discovered you know i kind of attached myself to this victimhood this story and this label and then i just oh well you know if i'm abrupt in a meeting if i interrupt you fabian by the way i have adhd so mm. i'm so for my impulsivity um if i you know i do squirm in my seat a lot i just have to it's like you know natural for me yeah uh, then i i would i used to attach myself to that label whereas now it's just like you know what we all there's like a gradient there's yeah. a i found out in these years of working with people with children even with their parents right that there's just a gradient of learning capacity and mm. you know yes and you know we we all have like we all just balance out somewhere down the line yeah. um some of them show up more in a classroom where especially in a highly constrained classroom where things are like your bathroom time is controlled we're doing this at this hour you must sit still for this long mm. Um, this is the way that we sit still and take attention. You must not do this. You have to do this. You cannot run in the hallway. You must raise your hand and ask to go to the bathroom. And I better give you permission to go to the bathroom, right? So that- So regulated and regimented, right? Yeah, so that's when we get, you know, this gradient, you know, of compliance, attentiveness. Mm -hmm. It will start show up in a situation that's highly controlled it, it naturally happens yeah this is it and and what's really interesting is if you look for example in in finland they give breaks to their to the kids so much more often and um you know schools are allowed to choose their own timetable and they can set things the way they want so you know they they'll work for like 25 minutes and have 10 minutes break and it just it's you know it's like, that's how we're designed mm. it's much more yeah. natural amazing so do you tend because of of your own um adhd do you tend to work a lot with with young people who have hyper hyperactivity or, or adhd is that who you tend to work with the most so they somehow wind up <laughs> being drawn into my field. <laughs> just, mm. you know, I, you know, I just love them so much. Um, you know, it's other kinds of learning, uh, learning air quote disabilities, uh, you know, that some of them will struggle with a processing skill or reading, you know, but I also have students who are so driven. And this is like once they get in upper school, 
that who are so driven that they actually drive themselves into states of anxiety because they sign themselves up for way too much. They take on way too many challenges uh, and really cannot navigate failure. Uh, you know, nor what that means, how to cope with it. And then they wind up having breakdowns or mm. harming, you know, things of this nature. It's kind of a fascinating field to, you know, but I love, I love getting in there and educating them on how to handle situations, mm. you know, resilience, uh, just real bounce back skills and you know, giving them the this whatever they need to to handle stress so it's like i've got, either got like the very squirmy hyperactive little boys or i've got highly high achieving uh high successful highly successful students who are just have overdriven themselves mm. Mm. yeah and, and i see a lot of those students the overachieving who are just now, as I said previously, you know, sort of the so competitive and like massive fear of failure and, you know, perfectionists and, and the newest thing I've noticed the last sort of year or so is what I've labeled comparatitis. So this real need to compare themselves to others and always compare themselves negatively. It's never, you know, in a positive light. Um, and that is newer. Sorry. Have you noticed that with the rise of social media that the comparativeitis has also increased? Possibly, yeah, actually, maybe. Um, but I would say the last, so, so they voice it. They, they actually say, you know, um, so we did a survey in TB1 with our students because we've, we've introduced, or we're trying to embed well-being in the curriculum. And we ask our students how they how they received the changes, um, and we were we asked them, you know, what were your fears when you started university, your worries, and loads of them wrote, um, not good enough compared to the others. I don't feel good enough. I I feel my, you know, I I feel others speak better French than I do, so therefore I don't want to speak. And it's like they literally write that down as as a you know this is what I'm the most worried about and and for us in terms of um of language you know learning their biggest anxiety is that it's like the, the 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 fear of speaking in front of others because they're worried about how others are going to receive them and how they're going to be judged um yeah so it's massive and and, you know, I always say, <clears throat> when I hear my students say that, I always say, right, okay, well, um, rather than comparing yourself to other people, because you don't know what's going on in other people's either head or, or mind or heart or whatever, you know, you, you may look from the outside in and think, oh, they're much better than I am. But actually, you don't know that this other student is not exactly like you and feeling like you. You know, yeah. in the UK, I don't know if you've got that in the States, but we talk about like swans, you know, so like beautiful from the outside, look like really calm. Yeah. And then there's loads of paddling underneath. And it's sort of, um, 
And so I often say, you know, I openly share with my students and I just say, you know, A, you don't know what's going on for, for the other person. And B, you'll never win if you compare yourself to others. So you'll always end up um, feeling miserable because you'll always find somebody who's taller, slimmer, better, cleverer, you know, all of those things. Right. You know, once again, we're back to the matter of perception, mm. you know, and how they're perceiving others, their, their perception of how others are perceiving them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think thought through, part of it is taught through the education system. Really, let me evaluate you. Mm. Let me give you my perception of you. Mm. It's so highly valued in the form of grades. Mm. You know, and then we think grades are something real and something to react to. Um, you know, when in fact grades are really a matter of compliance and processing speed. Mm. When, you know, you think about a time test. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 all the test result will give you is show you how well they've understood the task. As in, you know, how well they can, if if there's a specific question, it's about how can you respond to that question sometimes by learning by heart and not actually, you know, I think I think at university they you know, obviously we 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 start to learn or teach the you know the critical thinking all of those things but mm -hmm. you know very often the you know for the GCSEs it's about you know this is the answer and it's at the back of the book and this is what you need to to know and and wow. it it it's it's not surprising you know if you I've said that previously but you know if you if you give someone and this label of your and a star pupil and then suddenly they start struggling with their understanding and their knowledge, then mm. they're likely to feel really, you know, their, their competence, their sense of competence will, will completely be affected because they'll suddenly think, I'm not competent anymore, I'm not good enough because I can't, you know, if you link the, if I do well in this task, I'm, I become this A-star student, so next time I can't do well in this task, then that means I'm not an A-star pupil anymore. And so what am I, you know, what, <laughs> what am I, who am I? And, and that usually has a massive impact. And that, you know, that I think falls on the shoulders of the adults mm. really to teach them you know I would much prefer to have somebody who struggled as a learner right in charge of you know like they've learned how to fail right and that you know if we can teach them you know how to bounce back right in that you know we could fall boom bounce back and recover mm without putting any judgment on it or without any perception that that's bad or they did poorly or they did wrong. Um, yes. Yeah, totally. And the thing is also, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, I've noticed that recently is when you hear people talk about their, their life experiences or their path or what's happened very often, you know, you look at 
biographies of like famous people and it almost looks like their progress was like this it's a very linear and straight sort of like stellar thing but actually the truth is that their growth was probably like that like a zigzag sort of like all over the place right and it's easy to sort of give the impression that actually we all have a you know stellar sort of like you know very regular sort of you know growth when really it's very organic and you'll just have like a little bit of a growth and a plateau and then a little bit of a growth and then another plateau and then you know and then nothing and then you know all over the place and (laughs) yeah yeah totally yes at the end like who do we want directing our futures do we want these people who can rebound because we have very we we have to have learners who can deal with unpredictability Mm. Mm. you know we have to have dealer you know learners who can live in changing circumstances and be able to automatically adjust yes the last thing i want is leadership or doctors or problem solvers who are fixated on an end point right to solve a pro to solve like a solution that they're fixated on and they'll sit there and fixate on that and get like only so far whereas you know people who bounce around a lot and do a lot of spirals and flips will get to a whole lot of different places yes totally totally yeah and and you know that that reminds me recently i spoke to somebody who sort of um uh, trains um, doctors, you know, sort of young people to become doctors in the UK, GPs, and you know, um, and and she was saying that actually a lot of junior doctors, you know, sort of like recently, um, obviously who've become doctors and are now ju- junior doctors in training, um, can't actually cope with the the unknown. So if they have a di- if they have a patient in hospital and they can't quite find the um, what's going on with the particular patient, so they can't come to an easy diagnostic, diagnostic of the of what's going on for their for their health. Then they will keep them in hospital much longer and run loads and loads of tests because it's almost like they want an answer. Mm-hmm. And actually, sometimes there isn't an answer, and and is that sort of you know. How do we make sure that we we have young people who can cope with uncertainty, like you said, because that's the only guarantee in life is that things will happen and it's like we live in a very uncertain time. Um, so, yeah, in, in people that we tag as ADHD make excellent doctors because they're having to track every single patient all at this or emergency room doctors, right? Mm. Res- to this doing triage handling all this thinking on their feet moving room to room like you know and that label that we placed on them is actually a gift mm-hmm. like, you know, the label is the gift but you know their skills yes yeah it's not like a de- deficit it's like this gift the skill set that they have yeah you know? yeah yeah doing, um you know program design somebody who can move all over the place or who's like you said, you know, like the doctor, you know, in the, what I would call the deficit, right? Who's fixated on the end response. 
exactly is it sort of a, but you know well that's really interesting and and you know i do it myself as well i recognize that and i you know that that deficit model versus asset model so i don't know how you you view it but for me the deficit model is this focusing on um the things that people can't do or they can't achieve yet and you know all the things all the things that they need to learn to get to a certain sort of level versus the asset model that just suggests you know looking at their strength and looking at what they're already good at and and their skills um and actually it's so much more empowering when we start looking at people from um you know when we mark i had we had this conversation with my colleagues recently because it's sort of like marking a whole batch of year abroad essays and i was saying to them you've got to remember i don't know if you've seen the um the the, the pictures where you can see two pictures so you can either see a rabbit or or a duck and as you know i'd seen a presentation at a conference that sort of suggested well you can either focus on the mistakes they make so the the rabbit or you can focus on on the duck on the things that they can also do well considering where they're at and what level so you know they're like a b b2 on the common european framework for languages so you know that they're intermediate level so if you look at standards there's certain things they should be able to achieve but you know you can you can either focus on the the things they can do or focus on the things they can't do um and sort of say this is what you've got to improve um mm. but you're not going to get the same outcome from people i think so yeah and it's interesting because i had a, a, an awakening in my work about two years ago and i used to be you know because i was attached to my story about mm. you know my ADHD and I would make sure everybody got their diagnosis you know I, I used to be very adamant it's just like well we're gonna advocate for your rights because you have these deficits and you know we're gonna make sure everybody knows and it's like well I'm gonna go explain why it's hard for you to remember to bring a pencil every time or you know all this other stuff and you know I got to see Fabian I got to see clients you know in their 20s who'd had this kind of over advocacy i'm going to call it over um if i if i might say over tutoring over uh handling uh you know kid gloves and they fail miserably at university or they fail miserably as adults because they don't have the the skill set because somebody's been advocating for them all along somebody's been explaining for them all along somebody's been explaining away their deficits and you know why they can't do this or why the, the work world does not care if you get extended time um if they want their paperwork done they want their paperwork done and if you go to the university and you know this, this is your field right and you can't advocate for yourself you don't know yourself as a learner you you know can't follow through or haven't been learned that self-sufficiency it's even worse so I've actually kind of backed way, way off on the, the deficit kind of, I was, yeah, in the victim thing. Like. Yeah, wonderful. So what do you, what do you advocate in, instead now? What do you say to, to you people? Oh, I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to translate, you know, the expectations here, because obviously you're, you're perfect just as you are. Right. But you know, that 
it's it's just your work that isn't you know where's a failure to communicate with um the the compliance of the standards mm -hmm. of this assignment mm -hmm. you know? they'll just go off and do their own thing and it had nothing to do with the requirement you know so i help them understand those and then help them understand the concept of time deadlines prioritization uh but also self-empowerment knowing mm -hmm. yourself as a learner and empower you know getting them to speak up for themselves to go with what their talents are to bank their energy more where they're going to get more bang for their buck where they have their talents and their skill sets mm. assure them all along that everything is perfect that you know this is just fine we we don't have to worry about anything and i will i make sure you know as soon as i start to see the self-sufficiency in a client and that's the goal i tell parents i'm not here to, to hang on like, you know, I, I'm here to empower your child. And when I see that, I'm going to let you know, mm. and back off, you know, it's tough because my job is to <laughs> really get rid of clients. <laughs> that, that's awesome because, you know, I mean, I mean, you know how I feel about this, but these, you know, the not being able to, to take responsibility you know that the lack of agency sometimes I see in young people, I find that quite quite yeah. difficult to deal with. Is just you know, and I'm I, you know I'm learning to accept them as as they are. You know, so it's sort of okay. So yes, this is where they're at, and this is you know we need to help them. But or you know it's it's a. Uh, Okay, so I can't do this because I've got this and and therefore I'm not going to try, you know, it's like I'm not going to try. I remember distinctively having one student coming to see me saying, you know, so how are you going to make sure I get my 2-1? And they're like, um, well, I don't know about you know, I'm gonna teach you and I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm gonna be here for you if you've got any questions, but I'm not gonna make sure you get to one. That's your responsibility, right? <laughs> it's just, I'll support you by all means. I'm really happy to support, but uh, I don't think it's my role to, to make sure that you get your to one. And, you know, yeah, it's, I'll do that with seventh grade boys. You know, I'll say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm here to, to support you, but you know, the work is yours. You know, here, here's what, what you have to meet. The work is all yours and I will help you lay it out, but you're going to do it independently. Mm. I'll send them back to the teacher for feedback. Yeah. You know, if they don't work and if they don't try hard, I'll just say it's okay. I, but I don't want crocodile tears mm. when you, you know, a C is like a, you know, like a average grade here. Um, but mm. a C and free of judgments, you know, about yeah. a bad I said, I don't want crocodile tears if, you know, after meeting the teacher, you, you don't do what she asked you to do and you don't put the time in, you know, that's, that's up to you. You yeah, understand? Well, this is it. It's like, yeah, it's the action consequence that I always say to my, to my boys. It's like, if you do this, this is what's likely to happen. If you're okay with that, with the consequence of the action, then, you know, that's okay. So like the don't learn your spellings and then when you have the test 
<laughs> you'll be the one taking the test. I've done all the spellings in the, in the world. So, you know, I used to sort of like really go, oh, come on, do your homework. And then you go, oh, not yet. And I, now I just go, right, you've got spellings, right? Yes. Um, do you want to learn to spell your words? Not really. Uh, okay, that's fine. Then, you know, pack up your stuff. And then tomorrow, when you're, you'll go back to school and you see your teacher, you, you will say, I chose not to do this. Right. No, I chose mm -hmm. not to learn my words or I chose to do this. And, you know, if you have a spelling test and you get it all wrong, then you'll have to be okay with that because you didn't learn them. I'd, I know how to spell accommodation and mortgage. If you don't feel you need to learn to spell those, then that's okay, then learn to spell them. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> and it's my favorite conversation to have with parents because, you know, the parents will say, do your homework, and I'll, you know, I'll lay it out, I'll, I'll like spell it out for them, the, the mm. word too. And it's just like, sometimes there's a negative consequence. And it's like, I say to the parents, I'm like, calm down, like, don't get reactive. Do not join in the reactivity with your child. Mm. I said, perfect. This is exactly what they needed because you and I, you and I can speak and tell we're blue in the face. If the experience teaches them and they learn it for themselves, they think they learned it, then it's theirs. Mm. So this is exactly yeah, what we want. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's like, mm -hmm. I was saying to a friend of mine whose um, son is, is preparing to do his, in, in the UK, his GCSE. So it's sort of like marking the, the end of the first part of secondary school and then you then have two years to do your a levels before you then go to university and so he's preparing it to do this so he can then decide whether he wants to do a levels or do something else apprenticeship and she said i just have to nag you know it's a real pain because all i have to do is nag 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 so that he 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 does his revision and i said so the nagging what does that do and she went oh it's just a nightmare for everybody and I went well then stop the nagging <laughs> and he's like but he'll fail and I went well let him fail you know he I know I know as a as as a parent you know being a parent myself you obviously want the best for your child you want your child to be the best in school and you know all of that you know yes i get it but actually i also said to her part of that is worries about how people are going to see you as a mum. you know it's how people will receive you as a mother like oh my god she's not encouraging him to do all this work and <laughs> and i just said to her just say to him look i've got my gcse's I, I, you know and yes, it, you know, I had to do it like you are having to do it. But the reason that you need GCSEs is because if you want to do a lot, even apprenticeship now, you need a, you know, a C, a minimum of a C in English and, and, and maths. So if you don't have that, then you might not be able to do what you want to do next. But you choose, you know, you decide because it'll be your life, not mine. You know, and... And interestingly, I think if initially she's like, hmm, okay. And then she texted me and she said, I tried it with him. And actually, you know, 
he was like, oh, because she, she, she sort of went, he was quite surprised because he sort of, uh, he went, no, I'm not going to do it. And she went, fine then, don't do it. And he was like, no. And he sort of looked at her and sort of closed his book. And then, you know, the next day, he, she was like, right, so uh, what are you doing? And he went, oh, I don't know if I want to revise. And she went, that's fine, but you, you do, you know, it's fine, just don't do it. And, and she said, he probably didn't do anything for about two days. And then he sort of realized <laughs> I didn't actually react. So it was like the third day was like, right. I'm going to do a little bit of revision. And, right. and you're like, oh, okay, that is so, yeah. So it, it was really lovely to have that feedback from her. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's like sometimes it's tough to train parents into that, mm. uh, out of that reactivity. Yeah. Um, and that fear, it's fear, right? Because if we are completely honest as parents it's it's fear of you know i i see it for myself very often when i try to get my kids to do things or you know it's because i fear how i'm gonna be perceived by others you know like i'm not a good mum like this this morning my my eldest thomas it was pouring down with rain and he came down with just his blazer and he no coat and i was about to say you know and then i actually had to like bite my tongue and go no because why am i gonna say to him where's your coat and why are you not wearing a coat and you know because at the end of the day he's the one who's gonna get completely drenched and wet and you know and then i sort of analyzed that the need why did i have this need to ask him where's your coat and why are you not are you not going to wear a coat and the reason is there's a part of me that's thinking people are going to look at him in the street and go why didn't his mum and dad ask actually encourage him to wear a coat and stuff there's like this real worry about how i'm going to be received by others which right. is completely ridiculous. It's like, well, let him get wet. But also, isn't it instinctual, though, to not want your child to have a negative experience or hmm. a negative outcome, you know, like to protect him from a bad experience? Yes. In fact, yeah. getting wet would be like, oh, next time I'm going to bring my coat. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. yeah, no, totally. Totally. And, and yes, it's completely normal for parents. You just want them, you see that as your role from, from the minute they're, they're born, you, they're protecting them and, you know, caring for them. So it's, right. uh, yeah. So, but yeah. Right. So I can, right. you know, I can, I, I can, I have a lot of compassion for the, for, for your, your, the parents you deal with because <laughs> I, I too sometimes feel like a little bit of over parenting and, um, and then, and then I catch myself and I just go, right. Okay. But it's nature. It's natural to want to protect, hmm. you know, yeah. It, yeah. Your, your cubs for so long built up that, that pattern, and you know me, I'm the parent of a you know 92 year old disabled father, you know, you know, otherwise abled father with multiple sclerosis. Um, so, but it's just natural to like 
want to to protect mm. it's like they're your charge yes 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 <laughs> then they resent you for it right which is natural they have to that's yeah. natural as you, you described in your book right your second book that you know they have to how to how to grow a grown-up that they have to go through that like mom back off mom yeah. and dad back off put the hood up over yeah. and separate themselves yeah. um, I think is where we get that you know I, I refer to that part of your book frequently um, I think that we, we get that like I want to protect you but get out of my space kind of you know teaching them how to interact with those yeah yeah, and it's evolutionary, right? So it's just it's it's in the genes and it's part it's normal, but it equally, yeah, it's it's letting them go. You know, it, that's why I love the, you know, the that that quote that we put in the book about the that's from the the prophet on the like, your our children are are not our children. They come through you, um, but they don't belong to you. Um, and that they are actually the arrow from the, you know, you fling them into into the world, and and for me that is the most beautiful way to describe our roles, as, you know, as parents and, and educators. You know, these kids don't belong to us. They, you know, we're just giving them that safe environment to to grow in a little bit like a plant. You would plant a, you know. A, a lovely plants you know from seed and like look after it and so that it grows and things and then and then after that when it becomes that tree then you know like the acorn once it, it becomes a tree and it's strong enough to fend for itself you don't have to carry right. on <laughs> looking after it and feeding it so that in between stage like knowing when it's strong enough to care for itself mm. or not you know if we've got like a you know, a delay in the development of the prefrontal cortex is like we're a little bit slower in, you know, caring for ourselves. Uh, but it's just like knowing you, you, you kind of know where it is, but you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah. you know, evolutionary, you know, when we're when we're releasing them, I mean, they're turning into some of the the best brains on the planet. I think we're evolving now a new brain. Mm. You, know, their brain you know, their brains you know, are, are going to have to, you know, look at how, look at how many things their brains can handle that my generation really could not. Look at how flexible their brains are and how adaptable their brains are. Um, that I, I think is just preparing us or an indicator Right. First of all, yeah. the brains are teaching us that our current system is no longer serving. No, it, no, no, totally, totally. Uh, and their uh, approach. I mean, you know, their approach to, you know, in, in the second book we say that as well that they are part of a completely different culture, and you know, their approach to to everything. You know, the way the way they're so activists and so they care so deeply about causes you know that we uh, you know our generation probably didn't you know they're they're far more passionate than than we we ever were and you know 
and and they're also really they care deeply about their families in a way that we probably you know didn't do as much as 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 they did so as as a generation i love students you know i love young people i have a lot of respect for them um because to be honest, I'm not even sure I would want to be a, a, a 17 year old. <laughs> Look at the leadership that's emerging from the young people. Mm. Passion, the leadership, you know, Greta Thunberg, who identifies as, you know, a certain, you know, brain development, you know, kind of thing. It's just like, we need that kind of thinking. Yes. Need, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I only discovered today that she has Asperger's, a doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, that, but you know, I, I just said she identifies as a certain kind. But look at the gift of that, you know, that um, that that hyper focus. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, why we're having this program is like it's benefiting everyone. Mm. You know, I don't care politically where you stand, but you know what what she's bringing to the world is huge and it's not a deficit no 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 no. it's definitely not because you sort of you could look at at that and go oh my goodness you know she she she's standing like today she was in bristol where i live and she stood in front of thirty thousand people who'd come to listen to her talking about like uh you know uh, emergency, you know, climate emergency, and you know all of that. Um, you know, really? awesome. I mean, you know, like really, really powerful. Um, yes, I mean that. You know, it, we, we had this discussion with my with Tom because Thomas wanted to go, my uh, my eldest, um, to the rally, um, but I actually said to him on Sunday you moaned to do the recycling he was like really moaning at me going oh, do I have to do recycling he's like rubbish and stuff why do I have to do that uh-huh. and like four days later he goes I really want to go to the save the planet rally uh like <laughs> Double double standards here somehow, you know. So wait, 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 was it during school hours? Yes. So I don't have to go to school, and I'm like, and I can see Greta, and I went, those are like completely wrong reasons for going to the rally. <laughs> so so that'd be a no. <laughs> they couldn't go anywhere because it's obviously like buses and stuff. We we don't live in Bristol. They we would have had to go. Uh, you know, out of his way but um and and also that's why I didn't go you know I fly to go to see my family quite regularly you know I take I catch flights and stuff and I just feel a bit hypercritical to just (laughs) to be like a a, uh, you know of anti-pollution rally when I'm actually catching a a plane (laughs) (laughs) anti-pollution yeah you know unlike unlike Greta who goes on the train everywhere I use my car to go to work and I catch you know I get a plane you know to see my family so I'm not I didn't feel that I could really go to uh, to to the rally and, and and stand there saying that 
I am as passionate as she is. Um, yeah, I mean, she, she's just a, she's just a glimpse of the, the newness that's emerging. Mm. And it's, it's great. It's sort of like really lovely to see so many young people being so, so passionate and so driven and it, you know, and it's really, yeah, yes, it's, and, and, you know, I've, I've also had conversations about, you know, what I really love about the, the young people is this, also their approach to sexuality and, you know, gender and like that gender fluidity that we didn't have, you know, in our generation. So, you know, I had last Saturday, I had this amazing conversation with, with Thomas again because he was telling me about his one of his friends who's going out with a, a girl who used to go to primary school with with uh, with him so a fem you know female friends and um, and I just said to him oh I didn't know so his friend Charlotte is going out with his friends uh, he's a former friend from school from primary school and I said oh I didn't know um, this girl in particular uh he, he's le he's a lesbian and he looks at me and he went but mum she's not a lesbian she's um bisexual and you know they're, they're 12 and i was like oh wow and i just went and he went what is that an issue and i went no it's not an issue i just thought it's like you know he's 12 and he's like talking about all his friends being either like you know she's not a lesbian she's bisexual Make sure you get your vocabulary, mom. Yeah, and you know, and he's like, but you know, she she doesn't know if she likes boys and girls, and he was sort of like telling me this, and I was like, oh great. And he went, do you have an issue with that? And I went, no, I don't have an issue, darling. I just said, all I'm, just just what I would say, because that's like my, I'll give you my perspective, and this is my perspective on on things, rather than just labeling it you know how about if you feel like that you know because i was saying what about you what do you how do you feel and he said i think i like girls and i was like that's fine and i said and if one day you decide that you think you might like boys that's okay too what i would suggest you do is just try like you know try being with a boy try being with a girl and then you might want to decide and and that's it. You, you might not need the labels that come with it <laughs> because then you have that fluidity. It's like, you know, I'm not sure you need the labels on the box. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. It's 12 and I'm like, I was just thinking, oh, mom. <laughs> I would, there's no way I would have had this sort of conversation with my parents. I don't know about you, but there's no way we would have had oh, no. <laughs> There was one conversation I had with my parents and it was, they're telling me you will not have sex. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm not, However, no, no sex ever. Yeah, there you go. And here I am to saying to my, tw to my 12 year old, you may want to try with a girl or with a boy. And it's like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> but you, yeah, so those are lovely examples of how amazing the you know, young people are. The problem solvers. 
You know, they don't just, they're, they're, you know, I forget the name of the young man who developed the device to clean the ocean. Instead mm -hmm. of just saying the ocean's polluted and we've overfished, you know, he's like, let's fix that. You know, yeah. somebody device to clean the air, you know, and they're all young people. They're all under the age of 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's these, these two, two girls in Bali as well, who've um, like put so much pressure I think one is 15, the other one is 17, and they've put a lot of pressure on the on the government yep. in Bali to to ban plastic. Um, so you know, loads of like yeah, young people who are real activists and really passionate, and you know, in any yeah, in any kind of marketer, anybody who's trying to market their products should know their audience coming in. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Fabulous. So before we wrap up, I always ask, and I've started asking people on the podcast if they've got, you know, if there was one takeaway you wanted listeners to keep from this conversation, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to go back to what I started with. As I tell the young people, they're perfect mm -hmm. already. Nothing to fix, nothing to change. They're already perfect, just as they are. I love that. Nothing to add. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> yes, amazing. And this is true also of parents, not just young people. Yes, it's true of all of us, right? And that so often the children are, are their gift, really. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're there to draw out the parents need to, to control outcomes or, you know, they're there to, to basically as teachers, you know, for, for the parents just to bring out challenges, I guess, like a parent who's very attached to outcomes. Yeah, this is just what I've witnessed over my years of coaching to have a child who's completely oblivious to deadlines and that's their gift. Yes. Their gift, and you embrace it as a gift. And it's not just—I'm not there to fix the child. You know, I'm also there to coach you as well. Mm -hmm. And to mm -hmm. as yeah, so it's like perfect for them and perfect for the parents as well, isn't it? It's for everybody. Mm. Fabulous. So I love that we are all perfect, perfect as we are. I like that. I'm happy to finish um, there if you are. So thank you so much for your time, Michelle. It was lovely to have a chat as always. Looking forward to more. <laughs> yes, let's do, let's do that again soon. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Fabienne. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. flourishing.